everyone and welcome to the FPL script. Today we have a very special guest with us for our Game Week 10 podcast and it's none other than Let's Talk FPL aka Andy. Welcome Andy to the show. Just a quick intro about Andy and then can get his initial thoughts. So he's the OG FPL YouTuber. He's the goat of team leagues. He's a Manchester United fan and he used to work for EA. So he's a former EA employee and a FIFA aficionado, now FC24 of course. So welcome to Andy. Thanks for the intro. Yeah, definitely not the OG go- uh, YouTuber, I, sh- uh, I should say. There was many before me, but uh, yeah, definitely been going a while at least. A veteran, I think, at this point. Fair, fair, fair. So, introducing my other co-host, obviously, Fran, who's with me. Uh, both of us had great game weeks. Even Andy, I think, had a good game week this week. Feels like every week we need at least three to four players to massively haul just to keep up with the field. And uh, Fran, let's start with you. How was your game week? Uh, yeah, I mean, it went well at the end because Richarlison finally did something. Uh, and I, I did mention I wanted to go Richarlison just to spite some of the managers between game weeks one and three who said he was not going to do anything. But as it turns out, Dallow um, and Madison, who was the pair that I sort of was battling with with my trip here, Richarlison uh, pairing, <laughs> ended up getting outscored on both weeks uh, because Dallow scored the goal. So uh, I took the L there ultimately, and I've learned my mistakes. But yeah, the rest of the week was pretty much um, not too good because Salah had, had done well, but I didn't actually go Mbumo on my draft because I went ahead with Diaby and Haaland obviously was probably the hindsight worst captain. But because obviously with Wildcard 8, with sort of the ammunition of a strong team, I managed to get a green arrow. Yeah, what about you, Andy? How was your week? And uh, maybe just a quick recap of, of Gaming's 1-9. Yeah, I mean, overall, it's not been fantastic. I mean, I'm back inside the top 1 million, so I can't complain too much. It was a big green arrow in uh, Game Week 9 itself. So I went from like 1.5 million to 900k. Uh, so I guess I guess the whole season so far has just been... It feels like just misery, right? Pickford wasn't great. Rashford and Fernandez didn't quite deliver as, they, as we all hope. Um, Salah... I haven't owned so yeah it's not been amazing but it's it's not been awful either i've definitely been worse ranked at this kind of point in time but yeah 90 points this week i think in burmo 14 points was amazing fernandez obviously chipped in as well um harlan and alvarez returned so pretty good week considering i didn't wild card in game week eight but obviously if i had it'd probably be uh, a little bit better but not panicking just yet also uh, players that these guys don't own. For example, I had Luis Diaz because I knew I was going to wildcard uh, in game week 10. So I went for him. Thankfully, he got an assist, but always expected him to get less minutes compared to someone like Jota because uh, he played two games in South America. So all good on that front. Uh, as long as I think game week 10 wildcard can now keep continuing with Liverpool's good form, we should at least get something out of it. I think the worst thing for us would be if all of a sudden Liverpool were to start underperforming their expected data and that that would just maybe uh, reduce the value of the wildcard. But uh, moving on to uh, Game Week 10 wildcard itself, we thought it would be good to maybe talk through picks for each position and what you feel about them and what in general is the position of the field when when it comes to these picks. So when it if we start with goalkeepers, we've identified Ariola as almost a certainty in almost all the teams, given that he's 4.2 and West Ham have a good run of fixtures coming up. Uh, what do you feel about the second goalkeeper position? So for example, we've identified Turner, Raya, Allison, and Flecken in those. So what do you think about those, Andy? 
Yeah, I mean, it's probably no surprise that I'm on the combination it feels like most people are on, which is just Turner and Ariola, just because they're so cheap. And obviously, not that there's no upside with goalkeepers, but it always feels like there's a little bit less than other positions. So I've just spent as cheap as possible. And to be honest with you, we'll go through the drafts later. Money is so tight. I'm not sure I can afford to go anywhere else. Like, I like Allison, but I feel like that's only... I mean, I like him because of the fixtures, but I feel like that's only a pick you would make if you dropped, like, Salah or Haaland or something like that. I'm just not sure where people would find the money otherwise. Uh, with Flecken, I un I get it, because obviously he's going to have a double game week, and we all think it's going to be around game week 20. My only worry is, it's a bit more money for a game week that's, like, 10, 10 weeks away, and we're all presumably going to want to triple up on Man City. But depending on how Man City are looking at the time, we might need to get Edison, which I, I don't even want to go for again. But I just, I don't necessarily want to have Flecken and not be able to get Edison. And I just, yeah, so I, I'm not really sure about that pick. I, I think out of the three, he'd probably be the, the, the one that I would go for just because of his price. And then with Raya, I just don't know if I want to block a third Arsenal outfield. Like, I think I've got Saka and Gabriel, which is really popular. Like, I don't want to block Martinelli. Or if Jesus gets injured, I don't want to block Nketiah. Or maybe I get Saliba for double defence. And obviously, Raya can't play. He's only on loan. So he can't... I think they've still got Brentford to come soon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he can't play in that game. And what if Ramsdale's amazing or something and he gets his place back? I just I just don't know if he's so good that it's worth that, that risk. I, I kind of understand why all those goalkeepers are popular. Or, or at least to be talked about. But I just can't see me going for... For any of them are you the same oh well i'm not wild carding but i mean I, i'm in the same position because i actually own Ariel and turner i think on wild card eight people were probably faced with the same decisions uh, in terms of goalkeepers so i i think not much has really changed um as you were saying and with flecken it's a fair point plus the double game includes a fixture versus man city so how much value can that really be yeah precisely yeah, exactly. And also, I think the the pure in terms of pure expected value, if you want to look at it that way, and I think Andy is a big proponent of double game week players anyway, that would perhaps be the only upside to getting Flecken. But also, as Andy was talking about with Raya, I think Flecken also has similar issues because Strakosha is also a pretty good goalkeeper from Serie A. Uh, of course, we don't know what other aspects of the game where Flecken is better than Strakosha, but there is also a tiny possibility that that could happen as well because it's so far away so uh, as Andy said I think two goalkeepers who combined cost you 8.3 million just go for it and invest money in your outfield squad right yeah and, and also like a lot of us probably bought Turner at 4 million as well so if you go for Flecken that's an extra 0.5 and again money is just so tight right we, we, I'm looking at like Lascelles and Taylor and Maguire and if I'm already doing that where the hell am I going to find 0.5 million to get Flecken to bench him for most weeks for the next 10 it just I just don't think I can get on board with that I, I think the Edison thing is only a minor point like obviously there's Alvarez there's Haaland there's a defender there's Foden etc um, but it's just something that was in the, the back of my mind yeah that makes sense let's move on to the next position which would be the defenders we've identified Simikas and Gabriel as virtual locks but obviously the, these two players still have some rotation risk attached to them Gabriel gave me one to three um, Arteta related reasons Partey is also coming back soon uh, and Simikas obviously with the early substitution that could put a bit of doubt into some managers but they're still really high value picks and then the rest of the field being um, Trent, Trippier, Burn, Cash 
uh, Virgil van Dijk, obviously, because Liverpool's fixtures are sort of like Allison, as we discussed previously, um, Saliba, Dallo, Pau, and Guecchi. And I think I also missed out Dean as well, Luca Dean, who, due to Moreno's re-injury, he could be a pick once again for managers. Is, is Moreno actually, is he confirmed re-injured? Or is he just like just not back? I think he's had a setback, but we haven't heard anything in terms of the timeline. Oh, wow. Okay. I've not seen. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it, it feels like he's been out for, for or due back like every week for like 12 weeks. So I, I actually think, I know there's the whole troll thing, trap thing with Luca Dean, but I think if he was nailed, I think for 4.7, he's actually not a bad pick. He's done all right this season, but I fully understand why people don't want to go there. But I, I, I agree with you guys. I think Gabriel and... Simicast are just locks for me. There's just too much upside, like less than five million. Liverpool Arsenal defender. I think the thinking for me is more that if I'm gonna go for them, there is slight risk, and I want to be a little bit more sure about every other pick because I, I already feel like I'm starting to book some transfers in. I don't want to also have to deal with four point five million defenders. So that's my only real thinking. But I don't see me going without either. Them. I think they're gonna be in pretty much everyone's teams, right? Yeah, and one thing before we move on to midfielders is obviously Maguire uh, as a fifth defender because we are looking at Maguire, Taylor or Branthwaite possibly as the fifth defender slot. So are you looking forward to owning Maguire finally? Yeah, I'm definitely considering it. I think it, I think it was encouraging that he started in the Champions League game ahead of Lindelof because obviously Reginald was back so they played two actual fullbacks in fullback positions. Um, so the fact that he started and, and also I thought Maguire was pretty good like, I, like Man United in general weren't fantastic but I thought he was alright um, Klopp <laughs> Ten Hag spoke after the game about um, his, his passing and stuff like that and he talked him up quite a lot so it's encouraging but I don't think anyone can say he's 100% now like Lindelof could start at some point instead so that's my only worry but I, obviously there are all those players around that price at that price for a reason so even Taylor like there's not it's not certain that company doesn't change his mind on him because he didn't start the season. And obviously, LaSalle's is probably short-term. But as soon as Botman is back, we know LaSalle's is out, right? There's no there's no questions around that. And right now, we've got no interest in triple Newcastle, but that could quite easily change for a team that's so good. Like by game week 17, I think it is, their fixtures turn again. So you've got Trippier, Botman, maybe Gordon, if he's still smashing it. If one of Isaac or Wilson gets injured, then you probably want the other one. So I just LaSalle's just blocks off too much. And we were talking before we started recording, like you can tell yourself you'll use a transfer on him, but you just never will. Not a not a three point nine million defender, right? So yeah, but Maguire maybe. I just that 0.3 difference with Taylor, again I'm talking about money quite a lot, but it is quite tight on this wild card. But if I can fit him in, I'm tempted to go there. Because I do think there's a little bit of of upside. Like he's 0.7 million less than Dallow. And Man United do cover some of the bad fixtures for the other defenders quite well. Like Simakas has got um, Man City in game week 13. I think well, I can't remember who Gabriel's got, but there's a tougher fixture where you could play the Man United defender instead. Maybe even Newcastle away in game week 11. So, yeah, I'm thinking about him, but he's, he's definitely not a lock um, or anything like that. But I think in terms of Liverpool defenders like, you know, Trent and Van Dijk, they're just too expensive if you're going to keep hold of Haaland. So it's unfortunate, really. Yeah, and I think the good thing about United assets right now is no one wants to triple up on them. So there's less of a chance that you will want three more United assets other than Maguire. So even if you go for Maguire and he becomes a dead spot, you can hopefully replace him on the next wildcard and you don't need to waste a transfer on him. So 
that that certainly works so moving on to the midfielders obviously i think sala is the first name on everyone's wild card and i would also recommend saka as part of that as knowing you know assuming that he's fit because again i think he got a knock yesterday in the champions league game he got up and played for more than 80 minutes so not a big problem and i think andy's mentioned on every single video that he does that saka gets kicked every time like he plays and he gets kicked all the time he just gets up and gets on with it so that's nothing new for him it's just a reoccurrence of maybe an issue that's been ongoing and how much will that impact his minutes against the lesser teams so for example i think arsenal can get by sheffield united without him but we always like to build narratives even if they don't exist so maybe you want to go for martinelli just to get better players in other positions and you convince yourself that saka is not going to play but the reality is if he is able to walk i think he is going to play so <laughs> that's that's the uh, second position and then palmer i think for 5 million unless people are high on adinger as exmins looks like palmer is a good option to have as well i know andy spoken about maybe getting value out of him a point to rise and then selling him for some other pick but i'll go to andy what do you think about these three players to begin with yeah i mean sala has to be in because i just think for captaincy if if nothing else right we're going to be captaining him a few, at least a few times over the next couple of weeks i know like you can you can get away with it i think or you could potentially on paper get away with it like saka in 10 harland 11 saka in 12 etc but if you were free hitting in any of those well if you were free hitting in 10 or 12 you would definitely captain Salah, i think so he's got to be in um with saka I, yeah i fully fully agree like part of the transfers i made over the last few weeks were like getting rid of him knowing that i'd wildcard him back in and i just think even though obviously gives some penalties away um he's still going to take some of them and he's the most nailed on attacker with for arsenal as we know the fixtures are good for a little while at least uh, and he's just like i don't know he's just like a comfort blanket really you just never have to really worry about him i know i know he obviously was injured recently but that's like what the first time in like two seasons or something crazy like that that he's not featured um so yeah he's definitely and with palmer yeah I, I mean for his price he's great value right and, and he does enable a lot else I, i'd obviously prefer someone else in that spot if i had like 1.6 1.7 extra million like matoma for example is someone that's not talked about a huge amount and i like him as a kind of fixtures play but to enable everything else someone like palmer probably has to be in there and i'm not sure i trust a dinger's minutes enough to warrant it and i think with palmer like even if he did lose penalties when Nkunku's back, if he's still playing, that's probably enough for that price. I don't, I, I don't know what you guys think. Like, do you think he has to keep penalties to be worth it? I feel like if he just keeps playing, that's enough for me. Yeah, I agree completely. Because I think we said it in last week's spot as well, where I was sort of looking at adjusting his minutes when I was wildcarding on eight. And then I realized actually he was one of the budget picks that would prop up even ahead of let's say gibbs white at the time it was quite a popular pick um if, if you were sort of looking at review solves and things like that and i was speaking to fpl jack asking him about palmer that was before we knew penalties um were palmers and since then obviously his expected value has flown up but i suppose the only issue really with palmer is with jackson back does he sort of keep that central spot and does that sort of hurt his minutes um even if he might not be on penalties let's say yeah, possibly. I mean, I, th I think he is first choice right winger. I think Sterling's first choice left at the moment. But there is, I mean, with, like with a lot of picks we've talked about already, there is some risk there, of course, because yeah. like Mudrick could play left and Sterling right. So I, I don't think he'll stay central. But I do think he'll stay in that team. 
I just think he's done so well since he, he's been in there. And obviously Chelsea are. A li- I know they've got tougher fixtures coming up, but in terms of like performances and results and stuff, they are kind of on the up a little bit. It, it was all like doom and gloom early on, but all of a sudden they're getting a few wins now. They're scoring a few goals, and I think I don't think Palmer's the only reason for that. But I think he has done really well since he came in. So I'm quite high on him in in terms of an enabler. I just there's def- definitely a lot more midfielders I'd rather have. They're just all more expensive, right? We'd love unlimited money. It's just not there. So yeah, I'm I'm fairly happy with Palmer as the best five million ish midfield pick. I think. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And as you've already pointed out, everyone in that category is technically a minutes risk because they all have so many options around them that they can easily be replaced for a game or two. And I think the only position that we've not talked about is the Son position, essentially, where you can either keep Jungmin Son or you can downgrade him slightly to go for someone like Madison, Odegaard, Martinelli, or even Bruno Fernandes, who, I mean, I, I, I don't want to keep mentioning United assets now because everyone is so bearish on them. But what do you think about that position? Yeah, I mean, ideally, I would have Son. I just, um, I just think that like, we've all talked about right him as a number nine, and and sometimes there's players that go from wide and play central, and it it doesn't really prov- like Bowen, for example, right? A lot of people talking that he could go and play number nine. I don't think that's a benefit for FPL. I don't, I don't think it makes him massively worse, but I don't think it's a benefit. But I do think it is with Son in this Spurs team, and he is one of the best finishers in the league, as we know. And I, it kind of scares me to go without him because of just how good he is and if he's got penalties as well that just kind of that would almost make him like non-negotiable for me that he has to be in like it's a tricky one because I think a lot of people that are wildcard in this week have probably toyed with not having him and all of a sudden everything else just looks fine you almost have the exact draft you want apart from you've got Madison or Fernandes instead of Son and then you think okay well actually no I've got to reverse all that um so yeah I, I want him basically I'm, I'm doing everything I can to make sure he's in the team and also like I, I what is he now like 9.5 or something like that I think I can sell him for 9.3 and I've already got Salah De Bruyne is not an option so at least there's the the argument that if you need to downgrade you can go to anyone else where I don't really want to be put in a position where he suddenly takes penalties and then I'm wanting him back and then it's like two three transfers maybe so I, I'd much rather start with him I'm, he's not as locked in as Saka I would say but He's close for me. Where do you sit on that, um, JD? Are you, are you sort of choosing between Madison and Son? Because I feel like some people like the idea of choosing between one of them and then having that fifth spot be a 6.x midfielder or even a 5.x if they can't afford that. I had a chat with Andy before we started recording and it's the same dilemma. If you want to go for Madison, that enables, I think, everyone else as a pick. So you can either do that and then you, if you go for Son and Trippier, I think the rest of the team that you're left with has too many minutes risks. And if all of them occur at the same time, you might even be left with a team that has, actually has no subs. Because you, so many of the players will get dropped at the same time. So for example, if you have a team with, let's say, Gordon, Simikas, uh, Gabriel, and also someone like Palmer or even Adingra, there's a realistic chance that you might lose three of the players in one week. So I'm not too happy about compromising the rest of the team. So I'm happy to drop Trippier compared to maybe Son, as Andy's pointed out. I think I would rather have Son with some probability of penalties because as Madison has already said, 
it's apparently about who feels like taking one on the day so nothing's set in stone but hopefully son takes them and and gives them yeah that makes... did worry me a little bit that quote i gotta be honest yeah <laughs> because Mad- madison is super confident right he, he, he you hear him speak all the time so it wouldn't shock me if he takes it I, I against fulham they didn't have like a stone a stone wall penalty but there was a few shouts i really wanted them to get one just so we see who takes them um yeah if we keep son and madison takes the first penalty that will be a massive kick in the teeth i won't lie absolutely how do you sorry can i just ask a quick question how do you go like fran you you walk did you walk hard an eight yeah yeah did you keep trippy or did you sell him i actually kept him but a lot of managers went off of Trippier. yeah I, I i feel strangely like okay with dropping him yeah but i did notice when i was re- uh, doing videos the other day that he's like nearly 50 percent ownership and that did worry me a little bit but i don't know i just i just feel like it's not i just feel like it's an okay time to sell him but it does it does worry me a little bit that the the three tough fixtures are all at home and i think newcastle is so strong they could get not three clean sheets but they could get like one or two and then wolves at way and bournemouth away there could be clean sheets there as well so it's not even that we're dropping triple we're just going no newcastle defense entirely like does that not, does it worry you a little bit uh, my plans this week are actually to go out of trip here. Um, oh, really? So, but it, it really is into Gabriel, and, and so I can actually upgrade Richarlison to Saka. So the way I'm, I've sort okay. of reasoned it in my head is, well, I'd rather have Saka. And in terms of effective ownership, I think Saka and Trippier are both at 50%. So <laughs> there's that. And um, just thinking about like Newcastle as well, I guess when you look at for example games like west ham away west ham probably quite a weak attacking team to be honest and they can still score too i think that that still gives us a little bit of peace of mind um knowing that newcastle's fixtures aren't as good as something like sheffield united away burnley at home like that's not gonna be on the horizon until as you said game week 17 so i i've i've mentally gone off of trip here and i've packed 0.2 value actually between my wild card and um since i've because i made a mistake on my wild card actually i sold trip here thinking i would go madison then i had to buy back trip here at the end because i i wanted to have that sort of gambit of trip here for two weeks knowing that i would that madison position was soccer anyway so i went with charleston and as it turns out i've, I've packed two price rises from trip here but I, I'm, I'm still definitely going to uh, hop off them this week interesting okay makes me a little bit happier that is so weird that I think Andy mentioned on his previous video not to do exactly what Fran did as in if you have value in players don't sell them till the last day because you never know if you're going to want them back but I think if you want to catch price rises sometimes you're also locked into these decisions right you can you can yeah, be yeah, in a position yeah. where six midfielders are rising for example you can only own five of them or you know you have to make compromises so I, I can understand how someone can get put into that position i was completely blocked because i was owning salah and Haaland, and i didn't know Haaland would obviously fall to 14.0 uh, so that was my mistake but yeah i i'm in a similar position right now i've got um salah bowen sorry yeah salah bowen and palmer and i think all three or maybe at least two of them have already gone up so i can't sell them i don't want to sell songs i got loads of money wrapped up and i've got madison who i bought for eight who's now 8.1 and so because I'm not 100% sure whether I... De- I probably will get rid of him because I'm not 100% sure I don't want to sell him. But also some of the players that I might want, like Diaby, yeah. they could go up. So it's do I keep Madison on the off chance I want to keep him or do I get Diaby in because, you know, I might want to um, I might want to keep him. So, yeah, I'm in exactly the same spot right now. It's a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. 
All right, so the last position is going to be the forwards position. Or actually, sorry, I think we totally missed on that sort of 6.x midfielder line, which is your Mbumos, Mitoma, Adingra as well, who's, who we discussed previously, so we don't really need to touch on him, and Diaby and Bowen. Um, where do you guys sit on, on, on these players? Because from a review perspective, what I can see is Mitoma is not particularly well-rated. It even potentially might suggest keeping Mbumo or even targeting, let's say, Gross, who might have a bit of penalty share uh, in terms of the data. And obviously it's called on Bowen as well, but these are players, Mitoma and Bowen specifically, are very, very popular. Yeah, so yeah. I can I'll ask Andy as well, but for me, I don't think Mbumo is an option just because his next four fixers are particularly bad. I think West Ham is not bad, but the rest of the three are particularly bad. And I can easily hop on to him back in 13s, but for the first four weeks, I am willing to punt on Mitoma if I go for other players in other spots who are secure in X-Mins. Because as I have talked about earlier, I don't want all of that to happen, like all of them to just my team to implode at the same time. So if I have secure players in other positions, I'd rather go for Mitoma. I know that review doesn't rate him and we've talked about Mitoma on this part, I think the, mo the most number of times. Because we are still baffled as to how Mitoma is not rated as much as even Pascal Gross. So, uh, I don't know about you, Andy. What, what player are you looking at? Yeah, I'll be honest. There's a little bit of a um, like an emotional hedge for me on Imbermo. Because when I hit the wildcard button, I did think to myself, did I really need to wildcard? I wasn't sure I did. And so, if I wildcard and keep Imbermo, that then doesn't feel right. Because he's one of the players that would have meant that I didn't need to wildcard. So there's part of me thinking like that, even though it's not logical, I get it completely. And I do understand why he's so popular because we are going to want him back. Like game week 14, I think most people that are going without him are already pre-booking a transfer to get him back. But I just, I'm just, there's part of me that's kind of like just old school with FPL. And I just look at those fixtures and just think, I can't I can't go from Burma when there's players like Matoma. And I think his minutes are a little bit underrated. He's only been benched once in the first nine. Um, and and his numbers have just been pretty good the whole time. Like he's played a lot of minutes at this point. Like, even right now, I'm just looking on the FPL page. I know the numbers will be different elsewhere, but he's at like 0.29 expected goals per 90, 0.24 expected assists. Like they're pretty good numbers considering when he starts. He usually plays 80 to 90 minutes. And Brighton are just so good. And I know they got a lot of injuries, but I just I feel like they've still got a lot of good players and a really good manager and really good fixtures. And it, it's almost like it. I mean, no, it's always too good for FPL and it never works out like this but Brighton's next four are really good and then you got the perfect swap to Inbermo the week after when the fixture gets when they've got to play Chelsea away so I, I just I just can't I can't look at those fixtures and pick Inbermo over Matoma to be honest I think if you're going for like a deep squad like if you've got like a I don't know whoever's Jao Pedro is your eighth attacker then maybe you just bench Inbermo a couple of times and you've got him ready there you save yourself a transfer but I, I just can't do it. I mean, I don't, I don't know about anyone else's wildcard in this week, but I can't even see a transfer in game week 12 without an injury. So, it, it, again, it never works out like this, but hopefully there's the transfer there to just bring in Burmo in later. So, my favourite is probably Matoma, to answer the actual question, and then probably Diaby after that. I just think because Brighton have got one extra good fixture in the next four, whereas Diaby's only got, like, three. Although, it does get to play Luton this week, so arguably that's a strong point. But, yeah, I like Matoma. For the fixtures same reason yeah and before we move on so i think he also wasn't called up for uh, his international squad in the last international break so if there's a chance that he doesn't get called up 
to Japan uh, to play the two games in the next international break, he will also be fresh. So that is another reason to maybe go for Mitoma if anyone is concerned about his minutes because I think the main concern that everyone always has with Brighton picks is minutes because as you said, they are so well coached that no one is irreplaceable. Everyone can play everywhere else. Seems like that. It's almost like total football. So I, I understand why people are a bit skeptical on his minutes. But I, as you said, I, I personally would happily take that gambit for four weeks and then move on. So uh, moving on to the forward spots, obviously, again, I think for game week 10 wildcards, Holland is a lock. Game week 8, there was a bit of conundrum when it comes to Holland or no Holland. But I think for 10, he is definitely appearing in every single wildcard solve. The other two positions, I think it's just a question of do you want to go for a three striker formation or just two strikers and have Archer slash Mubama in the final slot. So if we look at the options, we have, let's say, Watkins, Alvarez and Darwin as maybe your second striker. So what do you think about those, Andy? Yeah, I think it's going to have to be Watkins. Like I've like everyone else is picking. I've t- I kind of thought about going elsewhere like darwin for example right could he match watkins for the next three and if he does longer term he's got slightly better fixtures but you're also banking on him continuing to start all those games and i like i wouldn't be that worried about him not starting man city because it's not a great game anyway but then i need him to start all six either side of that one game and that just feels like too much of a gamble like obviously the money difference is quite a lot right like i got watkins at 8.2 so it's it's 0.8 difference so there is part of me thinking, well, that could be used elsewhere, but it just feels like too much of a gamble. And then in terms of like three four three, like you could go for Darwin, but then my initial thought straight away is, well, Bowen is cheaper and he's absolutely nailed on. So I'm really struggling to go three four three. Maybe if I got Alvarez for six point five, I might think differently. But I got him for like six point nine, I think. So it's not even that big a big a deal for me. So yeah, I think it has to be Watkins. Um, the next three are just too good and, and then he's always a downgrade option possibly to someone a bit cheaper down the line like have you thought about Darwin at all or is he just too risky for you yeah I think Darwin is just too risky as you said the minutes are not they are there but also he is not irreplaceable like Salah so if he gets uh, benched in even one of those fixtures as you talked about the rest of your team will not be able to cover Darwin in that in that case so I would rather go for Watkins at least he's nailed I know he's, he's not a 90 minutes man anymore because of Duran is it John yeah. Duran yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I know he hasn't played a lot in the last couple of games but he's always there to uh, replace Watkins if need be although I think in the past few games when he did come on he came on with Watkins I don't think he replaced Watkins so maybe the fear is more exaggerated uh, but I so not being on pens is one thing right it's if he were on pens, I think he would be a definite lock. But the fact that he's not on pens means that we still can debate about uh, owning Watkins or not. Uh, I think Fran went for Holland Watkins as well. So uh, he, he kind of agrees with, with uh, what we're talking about. And I think the third spot that we're talking about in the three-striker draft is possibly Lyle Foster, Joao Pedro and Enketia. And Enketia is uh, subject to Jesus being out for at least four to five weeks. So have you given any thought to maybe having Enketia? Um, yes, I, I think I would want Jesus to be out a bit longer though, because obviously once he's back and Ketty is then an issue straight away, and I, is four weeks long enough? I mean, arguably it could be because of the fixtures that Arsenal have, but then what's the jump-off point? Then, then you're having to go to like Jao Pedro, and I just, 
I don't know. I mean, with all the injuries Brighton have got, maybe he'll actually start like three or four games back to back. But I still don't know if I want to bet on that. And do I want to be using a transfer to go from Enketia to Archer or something like that? Probably not. I mean, Lyle Foster's quite a nice pick, to be honest, of five million. And maybe he's the downgrade from Enketia. But to st but again, like not to sound like a broken record, to go from Archer to Foster's another 0 0.5, and I just don't have it. And that and that's unless I drop Son, right, which is the same conversation we've already had. So I do like Lyle Foster, but I'll probably keep Archer. Th there is part of me that thinks just go with Mubama, because Archer's like look, you got game week eighteen blank, but what's Archer going to get me that week? Probably two points. Yeah. And like I'm never going to want to play him any other week. And yes, I might get in a situation where I've got so many injuries, I'm forced to play him. But if it's only like one injury, I'm probably just going to make a transfer instead. So if I was like, if I was 0.2 off what I would consider the perfect draft, then maybe I would, would do Archer to Mubama. But I think for now, it's going to be the same boring three that everyone's got. Haaland, Watkins, Archer. I think it's, it just makes a lot of sense, really. So I, I think the one thing about Lyle Foster is uh, you could own, end up in game week 20 with uh, Foster, Mbumo, Son and Salah. And all four of them are leaving for AFCON and Asia Cup at the same time. So there are going to be a lot of players who will depart at the same time. So if you have not planned those transfers, you might be left with a lot of uh, surgery to do on your on your team, I think. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. I didn't even consider that for Foster, to be honest with you. So yeah, that's a fair point. Just another, another pre-book transfer. I just I think I've already got too many at this point. Alright, shall we move on to the sort of Game Week 10 wildcard drafts? And maybe JD, you can just speak about the sort of solver settings and things like that. Yeah, so for anyone listening, I'm just going to rattle through the solver settings that I've used for this draft because any change in them and you will probably get a different version of uh, wildcard 10 draft. So free transfer value is 1.25, uh, time decay is 0.85, solver speed is 1, which is uh, the deepest solve that it can do. Uh, burn value is equal to free transfer value, solve depth is 12, uh, in the bank value is 0.15 and all the other values are default except for max team. So it cannot triple upon defense because I just refuse to do that. Uh, when you have so many different options, I don't want to triple upon any defense. So I just kept it at two and then this season I've been using a much higher market odds weight. So it's 40% for the wildcard just because I feel like reviews expected value model mass massive data model has seemed to be slower on updating on some of the picks that I've seen. Uh, so I, I just want to use a higher value because I know that market adjusts much more quickly compared to massive data. So the team that we have again for the listeners is Raya and Ariola in goal. Uh, you have Gabriel, Taylor, Simikas, Cash and Dean in defense, uh, Sara, Saka, Mbumo, Palmer, Son in midfield and Holland, Watkins, Archer, as your forward so uh first thoughts andy what do you think about this team it's, it's such an interesting team it's very different to anything we've um talked about i mean i did i did say earlier like i have considered maybe keeping new doggy so i'm not completely surprised to see a spurs defender there because i think there is a few fixtures over the next couple of weeks where you could play them so i quite like that fernandez yeah I, when we talked about um dropping son it, it wouldn't necessarily be madison for sure it could be Fernandez instead I just I just feel like I've been so punished by Man United players that I'm not sure I can go there and, and we talked about in Burma I definitely get that pick I think the Villa double up is interesting 
for the next kind of three. They got Bournemouth in 15, I think, or 14 or 15. I, I guess it all depends on Moreno, but potentially that double up could be quite nice. So, yeah, I like it, but I guess it's similar things already mentioned, like Raya, for example. I just I can't bring myself to spend that much money um, on that position and block myself. Like Martinet, for example, at 7.7 .7 just could be such a, a nice cheap option down the line, even if we're not going for him now. Uh, and we just talked about Enketia, right? Do you want to be locked out of that? So, yeah, I like it, but I don't see my team ending up much like that, I would say. Yeah, I mean, if I was to speak on it, um, even looking back from Gimme Kate, it, it kind of shows the, the value that Mbumo has that reviews sort of places uh, in the game. So I, I kind of regret moving away from Mbumo. So the sort of logic that he was a season keeper seems to still be in place even even by market odds which we would argue is a bit more probably going to be looking at let's say options like diaby and matoma who have good fixtures in the short term so quite surprising there for me that mbuma would still sort of reign supreme and then palmer obviously i think is probably the biggest difference between gaming hate and 10 because two weeks ago we were looking at players like gibbs white even stretching towards gordon who obviously has an arsenal fixture coming up soon which is quite tough and yeah, ultimately, it seems like you now have a little bit more value to justify going Salah and Haaland, even with a little bit of transfer value lost. And I'm pretty jealous, I guess, that you have so many 4.4, 4.5 uh, defenders to sort of rotate with. But We did get lucky there. Yeah. All, all of a sudden. Sorry, I, I don't know if I'm being really stupid or the picture changed, but there's no Fernandez there, so I'm not really sure what I was talking about. I thought I saw him, but... Um... It's Son in there instead, so that makes uh, a lot more sense. I mean, that is quite... I think the midfield is the closest part... Of, well, the midfield and the forward line is probably the closest part to what most people's drafts are going to look like, minus maybe in Burmo. I think it's the defence that's um, yeah, a bit interesting there. Definitely yeah, be I along think those lines. you have to be a very dispassionate to go for a defence like that. Just ignore all the noise around you, and if you don't care about effective ownership and anything that has to do with what the field is owning right now maybe you can go for this but if you are invested even a tiny bit in you know ranks around you or what you have uh, the field around you I, I don't think it's going to be possible to go with double Aston Villa defense because again if Diaby suddenly becomes an option you can't go for him right if if something happens and you find yourself wanting another Aston Villa player it's not going to be possible with this draft yeah, I think I think I'd be a little bit less worried about that than I would be maybe for Newcastle. Because yeah, I guess if you don't go for Diaby now, you're probably not going to get him for quite a while. Maybe not till game week eighteen or so. But still, I, I guess you could yeah you could still be holding on to double defense at that point. I, I just I think Moreno is just such a big factor in Luca Dean that I just don't think I would risk it unless he's ruled out for a very long time. All right, perfect. Should we just move on to your current wild card? draft template maybe you could walk us through it yeah this yeah so it's pretty similar it's i don't know what i was looking at on that review screen i think it's actually quite similar but um yeah Ariola and turner which we spoke about two cheapest goalkeepers uh playing at the moment matty cash i, I have thought about going with power torres instead to unlock another 0.5 and i feel like uh, so part of me just thinks all i've got to do is get through the looting game without being massively punished and then it's fine because Forest away, okay, it could be all right. And Fulham at home isn't too bad. But after that, the fixtures do get a little bit worse. There's not as many good ones you want to play them in. So there is part of me that thinks just save that 0.5. But I just, I don't know. There's, there's just potential upside there with him if he plays in that attacking role. Like he could tuck in and it could be Luca Dean going forward. 
but I just think I've got to go for him. So he's definitely in. Uh, next to him, obviously, Charlie Taylor, because he's cheapest playing defender that's probably going to keep his place longer term than Lascelles. Simakas and Gabriel. And then Gay, I've, that, that, that spot is probably going to have to be his because of the price and because he covers a, good, a lot of good fixtures in the short term. So like if I don't want to play Palmer in some of those harder fixtures, Gay covers them really well. Uh, the one player I've, I've thought about for that position is Dunk. Because, which I, I know everyone's going to be saying, like, why would you even think about that? Right, Estrepinian's the one, but he's not an option right now. And I know Brighton's defence has been really bad, but they have, I think, in the first nine games, I think they've only really had four shots at a clean sheet. Now, to be fair, they haven't hit any of them, right? So that's not great. Um, but I, I think they've got to improve with the fixtures they've got. And from, like, now until game week 28, I think it is, when I looked earlier, they've only got four fixtures that I think are, like, really tough for a defender. So part of me is thinking about Dunk, but then I then I think about it a bit more. I just think, can I spend an extra 0.5 over Gay when Dunk doesn't offer a huge amount more and the Brighton defence has been so bad? But that is on my mind, maybe going for a Brighton defender. Uh, it's a shame Eshapina is not fit because he'd be straight in. And then the midfield is Salah, Saka, Son, which we talked about a lot. Palmer is the enabler. Then I've got Jared Bowen, which could be Matoma, I guess. It could be in Burmo, but I just think he's a solid pick. Like, 90-minute man, right? You're never going to worry about him. And because of his price, I know I'm not going to be priced out of going to Burmo with him. So, like, I, I just quite like him because he stays for four weeks, then he gets switched to Burmo. Or if something else comes up, you, you just don't mind holding him for a little bit longer. It's not like West Ham's fixtures are good for four games and then that's it. So that, that's why he's in there right now. Um, but potentially... If Gay was Lascelles, then Palmer and Bowen could be Matoma and Diaby instead. And that is a bit tempting. Uh, but for now, I'm on this one. And then up front is Harlan Watkins Archer, as uh, a lot of people have got. So, yeah, I, th I think we were discussing before. Really, the only spots up for discussion for my draft, anyway, are Bowen, Palmer, Gay, and I think that's it. Those three spots. Maybe Taylor as well. Yeah, maybe Taylor. So, like, we're going to spend hours and hours on four spots, basically. I'm pretty confident with the rest. If you are someone who actively uses review a lot, it's basically spending hundreds of computational hours, and then it comes down to picking maybe three or four spots because the rest of them pretty much pick themselves at this point. Given uh, the fact that when we've talked about every single position, we've had at least one to two locked players per position. So that automatically leaves you with so few options down the line. So, so before we move on to the next segment, which is uh, we've had a few questions for Andy because he's here with us today. Uh, Fran, what do you think from a non-wildcarder perspective? Because I, for me, I've been so deep into thinking from a wildcard perspective that I don't think I can think of anything else beyond that. But as someone who is uh, quite a bit away from, from all the wildcard talk, what do you think about the landscape in general? I think it's 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 interesting because I I went with Haaland and Salah, so therefore my my team right now looks quite similar to to a wild card ten. But if I was looking at it from a a no Haaland point of view, this is so 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 drastically different. I I would be owning players like Trippier and Trent, and I'd be probably asking um what are the easiest ways to get to Haaland. And in reality, I'd probably be holding some something like Salah, um. And a Salah only drop until let's say game week seventeen when Haaland finally has like premium fixtures and is so close to that double. So 
it's nice and quite comfortable actually to see drafts like this because with two free transfers I'm, I'm close to this i obviously don't have some of the value picks but yeah it, it's it's a question of whether really Haaland will step up for us in game week 11 because i feel like i'm in the same camp as you guys now we're sort of taking that bet against the no hollanders and i need Haaland to deliver on game week 11 and something that i thought was quite interesting is that yes of course man city are struggling right now but i've been i've been sort of tracking the expected value for Haaland week on week and Interesting, in the tougher fixtures now, I'm seeing that Haaland's EV is dropping, but then on easy fixtures, like, for example, the Bournemouth one, um, his EV is actually going up and up. Maybe that's just because Bournemouth continue to be such a poor team, but that gives me quite a bit of confidence in, in Haaland, and, and I'm only hoping that that, that captaincy will, will sort of save us, um, because there is a, a lot of value lost, right? Our midfielders are probably a bit weaker than other people. Some people actually... You know, with no Holland can be keeping both Madison and Son. We talked about losing penalties for the Spurs team. People who actually don't have Holland probably will actually keep 100% of those Spurs penalties. They might even keep Bruno's penalties as well. So it's an interesting landscape. I think it also depends, let's say, if, if the, some of the defensive picks like Trent and Liverpool continue to do well, as, as we sort of expect them to do. Um, but I just have to think week by week, you're sort of looking at whether Holland um, steps back up for us, really. Yeah, I, I've thought about going without him, but I just it just feel like the closer you get to game week sixteen, obviously the sooner you need him back. And you have got, like, I mean, Man United away might not be that bad of a fixture either, right? I, I don't think it's gonna they're not gonna go and beat us four or five nil or anything like that. I don't think, but he's definitely in with a chance of doing something. Then you got that Bournemouth fixture, and then what? You're like four weeks away from maybe needing him back. That that's my worry really. I think game week eight was was a good time to do it. I don't know. I, I think the biggest the biggest things you gain is what you said, right? You, you can keep Madison instead of Palmer, and you can maybe have Trent and Trippier possibly, or, or at least one of them. Is that enough to get rid of Haaland? I just... Right now, I think not. But I don't know. I, I could be persuaded, I think, if the argument was good enough. Yeah, uh, I think the worst thing that I think Andy and I have experienced, because I think Fran last season captained Holland for all his hat-tricks, bar one. But especially for Handy and I, it's been we've been on the wrong end of Salah Holland thing both times. Like when Holland yeah. was hauling all these weeks, yeah. we kept captaining Salah, he kept blanking, and now that Salah is finally hauling, we don't even own him. So it's been so such a frustrating thing watching Salah deliver finally after backing him all season last season. So it's it's been uh, as you said, uh, Fran, we all our hopes are now pinned up on Holland. We really need him to deliver. Otherwise, no Hollanders are going to win by a landslide, I think. Yeah, it's been really frustrating that, honestly. Like, I got so much stick for holding Salah last year, and now I don't have him. I'm getting stick for not having him. It's just you can't win. And the fact that like everyone... I don't think anyone... Sorry, not saying anyone. I think a lot of people hadn't planned to wildcard in game week eight. And so for them to then all of a sudden get Salah in, he gets the two biggest scores he's had all season... Like it was just all just a massive kick in the teeth. So, yeah, something needs to happen soon because right now it doesn't feel like it's going great. Yeah, sorry, I was just checking the score for the Champions League game and at half time, Holland hasn't scored yet, although someone has scored right now. So, uh, maybe, hopefully, it's Holland. And we have some. Oh, no, it's not Holland. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, we can. Uh, it's Akanji. Okay. Anyway, so uh, we can we can actually move on to the next segment, which is uh, we have some questions for you, Andy. Um, so first question is, how much analytics is involved in your week to week play and how much weightage do you place in general on algorithm recommendations? 
I, I would say uh, analytics, like I would say it's quite high, but not necessarily just using like algorithms and stuff like that. I think I'm just generally influenced by analytic. Like I, I basically, to cut the, this answer a bit shorter, is when I'm discussing FPL during the week on Discord and stuff like that, it's usually with analytic-minded people. So I think even if you're not necessarily using the tools all the time every day for the, every game week you're still you still essentially are basically like that's how i know that in burmo is like such a rated pit because everyone i talk to uses those tools right like review etc so that that's why i kind of understand why he's such a good pit but there's still like part of me that's kind of like a little bit more old school and just thinks can't do it because of those fixtures forget about the penalties the 90 minutes the stats and stuff that like the fixtures just are just not there for me so I, I i would say i'm i do do use algorithms i am influenced by analytic people and also i feel like i just in the back of my mind i've always got the numbers in my head like if you ask me don't ask me because i won't know but <laughs> just any player i can roughly know exactly what their underlying stats are and so that's in the back of my mind when when i pick players as well that makes sense. So it's, it's it's kind of quite data led in terms of like expected goals, expected goals conceded, and things like that. Like I'm not someone that's like married to a solver, that's for sure. But I do like to kind of look at different numbers from different tools, basically, quite a lot. I would say. I'm not running the solves for like twelve hours a day with different settings and, <laughs> and stuff like. That. I'm not quite that deep, but I am very interested. And I find like the the one thing I find is like. I don't know what the right word is. I'm, I'm terrible with words for someone that does videos, but I find some of the stuff you learn from people that play an analytical way is quite interesting, like variants and stuff like that. I think that's really changed how I view the game in that, yeah, sometimes it's going to go wrong and you haven't necessarily made a terrible decision. That's just FPL sometimes. Take the Salah thing, for example, right? We all knew he was a great pick for game weeks eight and nine. But to him to get the two highest scores of the season just as everyone gets him in, that happens in FPL, right? And I might bring him in and he might blank for five game weeks. That doesn't mean that he was a bad choice. He just, that's FPL and football. So I think things like that, I think, you know, taking into account hits, I would definitely in the past have been one of those people, well, in the long run, it's definitely going to work out. Whereas now I'm more like, well, he probably does need to repay it straight away because next week I might be able to make that transfer for free. So I think I've just learned a lot from analytical people in terms of how they play the game and i basically start I, the reason i started looking at i mean i've always used stats but i think like a lot of people i probably used the wrong stats back in the day um i, I basically started looking at things like expected goals per night and stuff like that because i kept seeing people that use data do well and i thought well if they're doing well how are they doing it and that's basically how it all started because i wanted to do better at fpl and be i don't know a bit more consistent and so far it's worked out pretty well had not had too much bad variance for now. So hopefully it continues. Great. And, and sort of just touching on what you were saying, because you have been using statistics for quite a long time now. I mean, how was your sort of early process of reconciling expected data? Were you, were you using them from specific sources, from specific websites, or how has that changed over the years? Yeah, no, just, uh, I, I guess, things like FBREF, Scout, Harbor, I've just used them all. Um, and just like the raw numbers, like per 90, non-penalty, expected assists, and try to keep it like that. I think I basically went from like shots in the box, touches in the box, and all that kind of stuff to just using expected data. Um, 
and yeah just always having that in the back of my mind really and that's just kind of continued um I, I guess i guess the numbers are always being bounced around on twitter and in discord and i'm looking them at myself so they're just kind of always in the back of your mind about how good a player is so yeah that's kind of how it started like i said people were doing well i wanted to do better and so i i started asking about stats i just asked a lot of questions essentially so i didn't have a clue if i'm honest yeah uh before we move on to the next question so one thing that always is mentioned is uh in analytics group chats i think a couple of years ago a lot of people mentioned that you were like one of the first content creators to truly embrace it in the sense that you present it as it is and you didn't like try to twist it like some like you you've seen people try to twist stats again to their advantage or maybe to uh purport a narrative that maybe doesn't exist so i think it's also important to just show the stats as they are and let people decide for themselves which, which is i think the key thing that we also try to adhere to because it's so easy to get lost in thinking once something goes right as for example you predicted something and it went that way you might think oh okay so maybe i can see something in those numbers that other people can't but it could very easily be the case that it's a one off and i think that's what stats do i think they humble you because you know that that was actually a one off and there's nothing special about what you just did and it could easily have been uh, it could easily have gone the other way yeah i think i'm always trying to strike a balance of just using numbers and and trying to I don't know, incorporate other stuff. I know things like form, etc., like uh, a, a word you shouldn't use in, in analytic communities. But I, d I also don't want to write that stuff off completely, right? Maybe something has changed that I haven't noticed. So I think it is always worth listening to kind of both sides. Um, but yeah, I, again, the use of stats and like, you know, not looking at last four game weeks, last six game weeks, whatever, that, that was just a, a learning thing. I, I can even remember the tweet. I basically said something like it was about calvert lewin it was just after covid and it said something like i want to start using data more i'm looking at xg per 90 is that a good starting point and i said something like should i be only looking at the game weeks where there was no crowd or should i look at the whole season right and then i got a bunch of replies saying you know more data is better longer term is better don't look at you know short sample size and stuff like that so yeah it's just i just asked a lot of questions and learn a lot like i know there's a lot of back and forth sometimes between let's just say grass and 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 numbers people um but if you ask a genuine question and you're willing to you know talk then people are usually pretty good at explaining it right like people like sir like if you if you're genuine with him he'll happily give you you know a lot of info and stuff like that so that's that's kind of how it started just asking questions and being taught i suppose by the analytic people so uh, w one more thing that we uh, wanted to ask you was uh, obviously about lineups. It's a big thing, you know, especially since FPL moved the deadline to 90 minutes before kickoff because we don't have access to the portal or someone who has access to the portal tell us the lineups. So how, how difficult, because I imagine you must be getting like hundreds of DMs every time about possibly every single team uh, which is relevant to FPL. So how hard would you say or how is the process you found of sifting through all these leaked lineups and then maybe looking at this source and look saying oh this seems genuine or you know this guy's waffling i'm just going to block him and move on well, well i can tell you straight away there's nowhere near as many as people think i've never had that there's there's probably half if not more teams in the premier League i've never had any info about so there's nowhere near as many as everyone thinks 
Um, and there are some DMs, but there's definitely not hundreds, right? It's only, I couldn't even tell you the last time I got a brand new person tell me about team news. So it doesn't happen as often as you think. Uh, generally though, I mean, back before Elon Musk took over Twitter, generally blue ticks were a pretty good way of, you know, differentiating whether someone was maybe legit. Like it wasn't always a, a definite, but it was a little bit easier. Uh, and sometimes just a little bit of research will show, no, this probably is the person they say they are. They probably do have that info because of this or that or whatever. Um, so that is usually when I would take like someone's uh, word straight away. But these days you just can't do that. So usually you just have to wait and see if they get a few things right. Like, I mean, if someone tells you that Harland is starting, I mean, whatever, right? I can guess that. It's, you're probably going to be correct like 99% of the time. But um, like the Arsenal one, for example that was just some random person that said i've got this news it's not relevant to fpl but it will show you that i've got info and it was about thomas party being injured like days before it even came out um maybe not days but like a day before it came out and then all of a sudden that was legit and then they told me something else that again i don't think it was really that relevant to fpl but i knew they had info so i knew that i could pretty much trust them i will always say like you know take this for what it is i'm never going to guarantee it but that that was someone i thought okay that's pretty good info so that's usually how it works um, and sometimes i don't even reply to dms or, or see them and people will continue sending info and so then you've got a a record for dates and then whether or not those players started but i mean i don't even know the last time i got a dm for 14 news to be honest so it, yeah it's not nowhere near i think people think i'm like fabrizio romano for team leagues it's just it's not it's not like that at all I wish it was. FPL would be a lot easier. Honestly speaking, I, I really thought like you must be getting inundated with with uh, you know DM requests and people trying to send you information. But this makes a lot more sense because it's it would be difficult to actually live your life if you're getting like hundreds of messages and you have to like sift through all of them. It's it's uh, really tricky. Yeah, I, I, in general, I do get quite a few DMs, but not about team leaks. It's just all about this is my team. What should I do? Should I wildcard and stuff like that? So. Yeah, I mean, and, and like, I know some people get frustrated because you don't have the whole team. Sometimes people just don't send you the whole team. They'll just send, like, there's one guy that's in the past, I think, given me Man United and Man City, but it's not every single week. And every now and again, he'll just randomly message me on a deadline stream and say, like, this one particular player is starting. I don't have any other info for you. So you just, I think people think you get, like, a whole team sheet and, a, you know, analysis of the fitness of all the players. It's just It just doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, sort of related to to how large you are as a YouTuber, you're obviously the the biggest uh, FPL content creator around. Almost four hundred thousand subs now. I've ventured into TikTok, short form content. Have been on X for a while now as well. How do you? How has your sort of experience of playing FPL changed as you've grown? You know, as a large and larger channel, is it the case that you find yourself second guessing your moves because of the feedback that you might get, or I think a, a good example that JD found was was where you talk talked about Sterling and, and how, how long it took you to sort of go back and forth before making that move out to Sun, I believe, earlier on in the season. Yeah, I can't... I know it wasn't that long ago, but I can't remember... I, I think I sold Sterling straight away, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, generally, I don't... I think I did second-guess myself when I first started. I made a lot more last-minute changes on the deadline streams, for example. And I probably was taking a bit more notice of what people were saying. Now I kind of, for the most part, just ignore the noise completely. But I, I think it's, I don't think 
I've changed because of doing content. I think I've just changed because of the way I play FPL. I think that's just come down to analytics and data and stuff like that. So I guess I guess that's almost like a. In a lot of cases, you're just more sure that even if, even if it doesn't work out right, it's probably the right call, or at least it's it's pretty close to the the best call you can make, like optimal if you want to call it that, right? Uh, I know everyone hates that word. Maybe not. Maybe not on this podcast, no. at least, which is good. Um, so yeah, I, I think I have changed, but I don't think it's because I'm I make content. I, I guess it's always in the back of your mind, like especially when the game when the deadline's gone. Like as soon as Salah scored those two goals against Everton, I was like, right, I'm getting in the neck for that for not having him. But that wouldn't. It obviously hasn't changed my way of playing because I didn't. I could have got him before that. Right? I could have gone for Gaming Kate Wildcard. Everyone was saying you need to Wildcard. You need to get Salah. You need to get rid of Rashford and Fernandez, and I didn't. So it doesn't really affect me that much. I kind of just uh, basically you have to ignore the noise because there's so much, right? If I ask a question on a deadline stream, I'm going to get a million, not a million, but I'm going to get hundreds of different answers, and there might be a majority, but not everyone's going to agree. So ultimately, it doesn't really matter what people think because if I ask one question one day, the answer will be different to when I ask it the next day. So yeah, it's, it's not that people don't matter, but like there's going to be so many opinions you can't listen to them all. It's, it's like I don't build drafts on stream because I'll put a player in and loads of people want that player out and I'll put a different player in and then the next lot of people that tune in will want that player out. So you just have to ignore it and make your own decisions basically. So I think data has changed my, my playing style more than making content. Yeah, fair, absolutely. Uh, I think from what you we've gleaned from speaking to you till now, the most important thing that I guess data has changed is it brings a lot more stability, I guess, to the whole decision-making process. Even if you don't subscribe to necessarily the same sources or the same set of tools, I think it just brings about a calmness that I myself have experienced. Is Even if it goes wrong, you, as you've already pointed out, you know the process works, so just keep doing it again and again and again. And I know that Fran is also the same way. I think the chaos has kind of gone away since uh, I've subscribed to analytics myself. It's really helped. But uh, the next question that we had for you was, uh, I remember that, uh, so my first interaction with you was when we were in the group chat for uh, Euro 2020 Fantasy, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was actually surprised because uh, you were like, when once you, like, for example, you're on the analytics Discord server a lot, I think you're, you're quite active on the Discord server. Uh, even yeah, in yeah. the group chat that we were in, I, I didn't know that it, could be that someone who is as popular as you on YouTube also is equally accessible in certain pockets of, uh, you know, a Twitter or even in uh, in the Discord server, which is quite nice because I think it, it goes both ways. You get more information and you, you know, upskill, I guess, uh, in terms of FPL and, and people also get to maybe interact with you in, in a different uh, setting compared to when they watch you stream. Yeah, I mean, I guess I genuinely like the game, right? I'm not making videos just for the, just for the job. I, I like the game. I always have done. Like, before Twitter was even a thing, I was always on, like, scout forums and stuff like that, chatting on there. So I've just always done it. Um, I guess it tells me that I should probably get off the internet a little bit more than I, than I currently do. Um, but, yeah, I like it. Like, sometimes people will ask me, how long does it take to do a video? And I think they're always quite surprised that it doesn't actually take me that long to do the video itself. But I guess in some ways I'm always kind of working because when I'm in like Discord chatting, I guess it's kind of still a hobby to me, but actually it's really my job as well. So 
I kind of guess I'm putting in the hours there. So because I talk, basically because I interact so much with people, when I go and record the video, I've already got the info I need. I'm not then researching it all again. So that's why every, when someone asks me like, how many hours does it take you? It's hard to put a number on it because I'm not counting all those hours in Discord, even though they are helping for when I make the videos, if that makes sense. So yeah, I just think if I wasn't, I mean, at this point, maybe if I stopped making videos, maybe I would stop playing the game. But I think generally, if I wasn't making videos, I would still be doing all that other stuff, basically. So why stop, right? Okay, and the last question we have is, um, are there any famous sports people who have asked you for FPL advice? And I know you might not be able to name names, so if you could maybe give us some clues. Uh, not not really. To be honest with you, like I've I've interacted with a footballer but not from the Premier League. Like no, no one that would anyone would know really. Um, so there are like, a, like there's a few, there's a couple of footballers that follow me from like lower leagues. I think uh, I'm trying to think if anyone's actually like messaged me for advice. I, I don't. I think I had someone message me for advice from the Premier League, but again, not like not like a popular player, like someone maybe in the academy or or whatever. So I had I had one like that from a team in the top half of the table. Um, I mean, really, it's just like kind of YouTubers, like sidemen and and people like that. In the past, have have kind of messaged for advice. Uh, they don't do it anymore because they've got like a mini league now where they're not allowed to 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 get advice, basically. But yeah, in the past they have. I mean, they'd probably be the most popular people that have asked me for advice in the past. But in terms of sports people, I don't think so. But obviously, like you you've seen people like. Um, Oh, I'm not gonna remember his name now. That's really bad. The Australian snooker player. What's his name? Neil Robertson. Neil Robertson. Yeah, yeah, that would be bad. Like, I think we have DM, but I don't. I don't think it was about you know particular advice or anything like that. So not again. I don't want to like bore an answer, but not really anyone to be honest. I haven't got Stormzy. I haven't got Stormzy in my DMs like Ross. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. So the question actually came about because we recently saw that Andy Murray started following one of the FPL accounts who is actually playing FPL using his own AI that he's built to predict oh, nice. points. So I, I mean, I think we've known for a while that Andy Murray plays FPL, but I didn't know that um, he was interested in maybe following this part of the the FPL space. So that's good to know. And I think the yeah, other... He's been, he's been playing FPL for a long time. Yes, exactly. He's, he's, he's been following FPL accounts for a while, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the other one was a lot of cricketers also, I think, play FPL. So I, I was wondering from that perspective if anyone has uh, gotten in touch with you, but fair enough, I mean... Yeah, I think it's, who, it's Sam Belling, isn't it? He plays um, he plays a lot, right? He's, he's following it. I mean, I can check my DMs right now, but I don't... Yeah, I, so he did once... Um, Oh, he said, don't want to publicize my team. Then he sent me a picture of the team. And then we just talked for a little bit, but like nothing major. Like, it's not like, you know, every week I'm getting a DM from certain people asking me. Like, the thing is, most of these people, if they're following FPL accounts, they're already quite invested. So they're probably, like, I, I always think there's probably Premier League footballers out there consuming content. It doesn't have to be my videos. It could be someone else's or podcasts or articles, whatever it is. There will be Premier League players out there but I guess because of their position, they can't. They probably don't want to make it known. So I, I suspect there's a lot of people out there consuming content. We just we'll just never know, basically. But for me, it's not that exciting. I'm afraid.
I think this is plenty exciting because I was expecting exactly someone like Sam Billing to be in touch to get in touch with you because uh, I know that cricket is not a popular sport worldwide, but at least you know in the UK and in India it's uh, one of the most popular sports. So uh, if if I were getting message by someone like David Warner or someone like that or even Alistair Cook because I think Alistair, even Alistair Cook uh, used to play FPL, I think. I'm not sure if he still does and Ben Stokes and Stuart Broad does. Stuart Stuart Broad does. Broad, yeah. He's a Newcastle fan, right? If I'm not wrong. Uh, Forest. Oh, Forest. Uh, they all, all of them support uh, uh, Premier League teams, I think. So it's uh, it's natural that they would be uh, invested, I think, in in uh, Premier League. But yeah, uh, well, it's it's been kind of a surreal experience for me uh, talking to you, Andy. So uh, thank you for your time today. Um, hope you hit 400k subs uh, as soon as possible. And uh, yeah, uh, do you have any final thoughts? No, just say thanks for having me on. Been a pleasure. I'm sure we'll do it again at some point. Yeah, uh, great to know. So, um, Fran, any final thoughts? Uh, no, but I think we can all enjoy our Salah captaincy for once. So, see you guys yes, next week. Yes, for sure. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, thank you, Andy, once again for being on the podcast. Uh, you were listening to the FPL script. If you enjoyed the pod, uh, please you know give a five star rating, sub, subscribe on YouTube, whatever you need to do to get the pod out and. Thank you, Andy, once again for paving the way for content creators like us in this space and see you all next week.